What do you think of when you think about revolutionaries? Do you think about Gandhi, Mandela, Martin Luther King? Or do you think about violent ones like Lenin, Fidel Castro or George Washington? Approximately 2,000 years ago, a child was born in dubious circumstances to a young peasant girl called Mary. She gave birth away from her home in a place called Bethlehem near Jerusalem. The birth was surrounded by controversy. It took place amidst many supernatural occurrences and many wanted to visit and honour this new child. However, violence was also present. The reigning king, Herod, feared the survival of this baby and set about killing all babies he thought would be the age of this new one. This meant Mary, Joseph and their new child Jesus were on the road early on in Jesus' life, fleeing this violence. It wasn't until some time later, after Herod's death, that they were able to return to their home in Nazareth. As this baby grew and became an adult, his life, ministry and ultimately his death set in motion a movement, dare I say a revolutionary movement, that changed history. Today, in countries around the world, billions have followed him, even sometimes losing their lives for doing so. Many have sought to learn from his life. Laws have been based on his teaching. Dignity has been given to people as slavery is abolished, education provided, human rights established, the poor have been fed, the sick have been cared for. There's so much that has been done in the name of this person, Jesus, and of course more to do. But for so many, it was following this revolutionary leader that provoked them to take the kind of action that they have. And what's described as his kingdom, the kingdom of God, has grown and grown. It truly is the kingdom upon which the sun will never set. A kingdom that cannot be thwarted, whatever is thrown against it. When suffering and persecution come, when attempts at eradication occur, when popular and political pressure resist, still the kingdom of this revolutionary Jesus grows and grows. Last week, Dave Oliver introduced us to the surprising revolution begun through Jesus' adult life. This week, we want to look at how it progresses through calling people. And I particularly want to do so through looking at Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, and Jesus' calling of a man called Levi. Let's read the passage together. Once again, he... That's Jesus, went out along the sea. All the crowd came to him and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the customs post. He said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners sat with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Some scribes, who were Pharisees, saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, and said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus heard this and said to them, those who are well do not need a physician, but the sick do. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. So far in Mark's gospel, Jesus has called four people, the brothers Simon and Andrew, and James and John called the sons of Zebedee. All of them were fishermen. But now we have the calling of Levi, another call to become Jesus' disciple. This is something that rabbis or teachers did, gathering followers, 
gathering people, calling people and teaching them and sharing their life. This is what Jesus did in his life in the Gospels and continues to do today. I don't know about the you watching today, but some of you have been walking with Jesus and responded to his call many, many years ago and you've been following him for a long time. Others of you have perhaps more recently responded to his call to follow. Some of you perhaps not even decided yet and are just investigating. As some of you responded to Jesus' call, some of you were perhaps looking and searching for something more. And into that context, Jesus called you. Some of you were minding your own business, just going about your day-to-day life. And Jesus got your attention, interrupted you, you could say, and called you to follow him. All of us have different circumstances and different timings in which Jesus calls. Here, for Levi, Jesus is walking along in view of the crowd and he sees Levi who is seemingly sitting minding his own business. There's no sense that we're given that he's searching for anything, but along comes Jesus and calls him. Levi was a despised, probably cheating tax collector. That was the kind of norm for tax collectors in those days. Even now, they're not the most popular person, are they, in our lives? And as the debates go on about raising taxes in our country, hmm, we may have different views on that. But in their day, the tax collector was known for cheating. And David Oliver last week talked to us about Zacchaeus, another tax collector, who was clearly known for taking more than he was due. As a tax collector, Levi was likely working for Herod, a false Jewish king put in power by the occupying forces, the Romans. So he wouldn't have been a popular fellow, not one to be seen with, to befriend, to be your best mate. And it's interesting that in this short passage, tax collectors and sinners are paired three times in the description. There's something going on there that even points to the negative portrayal of tax collectors, that they would be paired with sinners. Note that when Jesus approaches Levi, he calls him in sight of the crowd. How would you feel being spotlighted like that? Not a private conversation, could we ever go to the coffee shop and sit in the corner? But Jesus calls him in sight of the crowd. Jesus, the revolutionary who's already, even in Mark chapter 2, has already upset the religious leaders, is now drawing attention to you And you're faced with a choice of whether you're going to respond to this so-called revolutionary who's upsetting everybody or not. Maybe there's a couple of things going on here that we need to take note of. Jesus is calling in sight of the crowd specifically to Levi, but doing it in that public way is perhaps implicitly saying to the crowd, and you too can follow me as well. I'm picking out Levi, but you too I'm calling to follow if you want to respond. So maybe that's going on. But secondly, it may be also that in calling Levi publicly, what Jesus is saying is that this revolutionary movement is not something done in the choir, in the corner. This is not private religion. It's about everything. It's about the whole of life. And it's done in front of everyone, not something to be hidden away. Quite a number of years ago now, I had a little encounter in town with a guy called John Gomer. Dear John Gomer, many of you will know him. He was known around the churches. Uh, he had lived on the streets for many years. He'd probably, he'd had alcoholic 
or alcohol problems through his life, but had come to Christ and in fact had been baptised and was known by many of the churches. But his past life did affect how he was in, in the present when I encountered him. His voice was somewhat tinged by the alcoholic past and so he had a very distinctive way of calling you. And I'm walking through London Street just down the road from where many of you are meeting this morning and I get here this, uh, this afternoon, sorry, I hear this call, Phil, Phil, pastor, in this kind of affected voice kind of way. I was faced with a choice. Do I pretend I haven't heard and disappear into the nearest shop because I'm too embarrassed to be associated with John Gomer? Or do I respond and say, yeah, I know John Gomer. He's actually a fellow believer. He's following Jesus. He's been called by him. Interestingly for John Gomer, just a little aside, in the Willis Museum at the top of town, uh, there was a picture of him sitting or sleeping on a bench that he was very proud of that it was still there. It was a picture portraying some of those who were homeless in the Basingstoke town. That was John Gomer. He has passed on now, but he was a lovely, lovely fella. I think, just to finish the story on that occasion, I did actually respond to John, thankfully. (laughs) The call that Jesus gives Levi is simply a call to follow. Follow me, Jesus says. In Mark, it seems that following is often synonymous with what discipleship is. You could say the definition of discipleship in Mark's gospel is simply following Jesus. And isn't that a following to be with Jesus and to be with others who are following Jesus? And I think that's what the church is about, isn't it? We're a group of people who have responded to the call to follow Jesus and we're doing it together. There's a sense of immediacy also that comes through this call. As Jesus calls Levi, he leaves his tax collector's booth. Now, we're not told whether that was a permanent leaving for Levi or whether he went back later to carry on with his trade, but perhaps in a different way. But following Jesus... This revolutionary does impact your life choices for good, but not necessarily without cost. For me, many of you know, I was working in the computer industry before I started working for the church. And, you know, in those days, it was quite a lucrative industry. And uh, there was an opportunity to make a lot of money, have a lot of the trappings of life that people think mark out success, all that kind of thing. And then I was asked the question, would I come and work for the church? I remember various of uh, my customers or suppliers uh, coming to me and saying, are you going to be all right, Phil? Meaning, would I survive? Would I get enough income to survive? Thank God I did. But they were concerned for me. I remember a family member saying, would you get commission if people join the church? The call to follow Jesus for me meant leaving what from the world's eyes would be quite a lucrative career and industry and coming to work for the church. It changed my vocation. It changed the direction in which my life was going. Now, that was unique for me. It's not the same for all of us. It's different for all of us. But the call to follow Jesus does affect where we live, what we give our time to, what career we follow, how we spend our money. It affects all kinds of things in our life. It's a call that is public and is about everything. Levi is singled out, as we've said. But note that in verse 15, it says many tax collectors and sinners sat with Jesus and his disciples 
For there were many who followed him. The call, obviously then, wasn't just for Levi. Many followed. Maybe we got in to following Jesus because a friend invited us, having responded to the call themselves, or a family member was called. I remember when I got baptised way back, I think with Charles Veach, who's part of Hub Community Church, and some of his family, 1989, I think it, no it wasn't, it was before that, 1979, I think. I actually got baptised because my sister Margie, Margie Mendelssohn, uh, was going to get baptised, and I was provoked to take that step. I knew I had to one day, I was a bit nervous and shy about having to do the public speaking bit associated with it, and I hadn't got to that place, and so I was provoked by Margie to take that step. As it actually happens, Margie pulled out on that occasion, but I continued to go ahead and get baptised. I got in through the provocation of a family member. Margie has subsequently been baptised, I'll just make that clear. (laughs) So Levi is called by Jesus. What was it about Levi that got him in? Was it his qualifications, his prestige as a tax collector working for the Romans? I don't think so. Previously, fishermen had been singled out and called. Now also we see in this passage that Levi, the tax collector, but also sinners are starting to follow Jesus, whatever that terminology stands for. But whatever it stands for, it's not a compliment, is it? The revolutionary Jesus wasn't looking and gathering people in the normal way. And we see as you read the passage that the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, question uh, why he's spending time with someone like, like Levi. They disqualified tax collectors and sinners. They go, why is he eating with them? Do we do that to people? Do we do that to ourselves? Disqualify ourselves at times? I'm not good enough. I can't make the grade. I don't have the credentials. The Pharisees certainly wouldn't have chosen Levi. Who wouldn't we choose? To the call to follow, Levi simply gives a yes. He didn't put a CV together. He didn't get out a certificate. He didn't pass an exam. He didn't do a course. He just simply said yes to Jesus' call. And that invitation to which Levi responded is to all. The crowd, sinners, tax collectors, and includes me, and it includes you. And as you read through Mark, you'll see how sometimes it's amazing what the disciples get up to. And yet at other times, they totally mess up and misunderstand Jesus. Take Peter. One moment, he has this amazing revelation of who Jesus is later on in Mark's Gospel. The next moment, Jesus is saying to him, get behind me, Satan. So this journey of saying yes to Jesus, of following Jesus, is not a journey for the perfect, but for the imperfect, for the unqualified. So I'm in. You know, I've been saying to various groups lately that I've been speaking to that the older I get, the more I realise the mess and the brokenness of my own life. I trust, on the other hand, the more Christ is conforming me to his image and working healing into my life and making me look more like him. But I face more and more the reality of my own brokenness. To follow Jesus is not to have a life that's pristine and sorted and everything's in order. It's simply a life that says, yes, I'm going to follow.
After his call, Levi starts to party. Calls a banquet. What's going on here? It seems like he's thrown this banquet for Jesus and seems to have invited many tax collectors and sinners to share this meal. There were many, it says, who followed him. That's Jesus. As followers of Jesus, then, gathering around this revolutionary leader, we're called to invite others to follow him too. It's interesting as you read this story about Jesus eating with sinners here, it links very much to the story at the beginning of chapter 2, in this very same chapter that we're in. Where Jesus had said, if you remember the story, to a paralysed man who was lowered through a broken roof to get to him so that Jesus could heal him. He says to this paralysed man, your sins are forgiven. And there's a big debate about, can Jesus forgive sins? And he says, well, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or take up your mat and walk? Basically, he's doing the same thing. What he's saying is he's demonstrating here that what he proclaimed about sins being forgiven is now demonstrated as he eats with sinners and tax collectors. There's a connection going on here. He's demonstrating the same thing. You're forgiven, you're welcome. You can be a follower of mine and receive the life that I bring. The words of forgiveness and action that portray forgiveness come together and communicate the same message. This revolutionary both spoke and lived out his message and showed it to those who were following him. And then think about the symbolism of the meal. Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. Intimate table fellowship. Perhaps carried more weight in their day, though I think we can still relate to some of that. Meals, the memory of meals, whether it's meals of celebration that my family shared recently as Gracia and Jack got married uh, post, well, they did their marriage post-Covid or post-lockdown with many uh, folks being able to join in the celebration. It was a fantastic occasion. Or I even think back to the last, or a meal in memory of of people who have died and, and are no longer with us physically. I think of a Christmas meal, not long, first Christmas I think it was, after my mum died some years ago now. And so we sat around the table and mum was one who was just full of Christmas, loved to being in the centre of it. We'd create all kinds of good things to eat and hospitality was a, a clear mark of their mum and dad's household. As we sat around the table, we talked about mum's Christmas pudding. Dad gets up from the table, walks into the garage because he found one. He'd found one that had been stored, and of course, those of you who know, you know that Christmas puddings can last for quite a long time. And he came back in with this Christmas pudding. You can imagine the lumps in our throat as we now tried to eat this Christmas pudding and could hardly swallow to get it down. It's quite an amazing occasion. But meals carry that kind of symbolism, that kind of memory. And here is Jesus in a day when they probably carried even more saying, I'm eating with you. I'm sharing table fellowship with you. You are welcome around my table. We see also in this passage that Jesus comes for the sick. Levi knows he's sick. Jesus is pictured as a physician or doctor. I think it may be the only time that terminology is used to describe Jesus. But he's coming for the sick and sinners, not the healthy and righteous. He prioritises the sick and sinners. Now listen, that's all of us, but we don't all admit it. 
As I said, I'm more and more recognising the brokenness, the fallenness, the mess of my own life and longing for Jesus to continue to mould me and to shape me and to heal me up. I need Jesus in my life. Levi knew he needed help. He hadn't got it all together. He know, and he knows that he needs help and doesn't hesitate to say yes to Jesus' call. It's one of those times when you just know I've got to go, yes. Jesus coming to say, I'm calling you. And something inside goes, yes, I need help. I'm sick. I need you to come and be with me. This is probably also then another veiled call to the Pharisees. If they recognised they were sick, then they too could become Jesus' disciple. And there's a bit of irony going on here, I think, in that the sick and sinners are those who the Pharisees categorise as sick and sinners, and they want nothing to do with them. But ironically, the sick and sinners become welcome into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of this fellow called Jesus, this revolutionary, whilst those who think they are healthy are in fact those who are really sick. Is Jesus calling you today? Maybe for the first time, maybe you're watching on and you've never said yes to following this Jesus. Maybe he's calling you afresh for the umpteenth time for you to say yes again. In the book that many of you kindly bought that I wrote 40 days in the story, at the beginning, I, in the foreword, I write uh, 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 some thank yous as you normally do in a book like that. And one of the comments I make is how there was a day when Helen said yes to me for the first time and we got married. But she's continued to say yes, moment by moment, year by year. We've been married 32 years now. There's an ongoing yes that she said to me and I've said to her. What about our ongoing yes to Jesus? Will you follow me? Will you continue to pursue me? And it's a challenge, isn't it? As we get older and we've lived a bit more and we face suffering and we face all kinds of things and we face the reality of our own brokenness, will we still say yes to following him to the end of our days? I think Jesus is inviting us. This revolutionary wants us to take our place as his followers gathered around him and inviting others to follow also. This Jesus, this revolution, he wants us to take our place in seeing this world transformed as so many have done before us, as so many are doing now, taking their place, playing their part in seeing this world filled with men and women, young and old, who love, know and honour Jesus. He's calling us. Will we answer yes? Will we hesitate Will we make those life choices that enable us to follow the call that Jesus is, uh, is putting upon us? It's a great way of life, full of peace, full of joy, full of hope, full of meaning, full of life, albeit there is cost involved. I just want to pray. We've come out of an incredible 18 months, but the revolution continues. Covid cannot thwart the growing of this kingdom. Covid cannot prevent the name of Jesus being honoured. And there's a call afresh to us today to respond to this Jesus and say yes to him. So Lord, help us. Speak to our hearts. Give us the courage, like Levi, to say yes, whether it's publicly or if it is even in the quiet place that you speak to us. But let us see that this call is to join your revolution, to see this world turned the right way up, 
to see people honoured and given esteem, to see your ways and your teachings lived out, to see your character demonstrated. Lord, let us see the reality of that. Let us have revelation of that. And give us, by the power of your Spirit and your grace, the ability to respond and say yes. Amen.